White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 678. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. And we are back. It is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, your favorite podcast for reviewing all things Babylon 5, now working our way through Season 4. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, happy as always to be joined by my great co-host, Andy Fix. Andy, are you out there in TV land? I am here, Van. I am here, and I'm doing good, and I'm excited for this. Always so love talking B5 with you. Just don't replace me with a stuffed tiger anytime soon. <laughs> All right, we'll have to explain that in a minute. But um, we ha- we had some technical difficulties, as always. There's 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 never been a White Rocket podcast on any of our channels on any of our topics that haven't had some kind of technical issue somewhere along the way, at least once a week. But we got it we got it uh, overcome, and here we go. Yeah. All right. So um, very quickly, what Andy's referring to, we did our football show Monday night. And we were joking that we had just re-signed my co-host to it. We've, we've just finished our 10-year anniversary of doing that show every week. And he said he was joking and said we had re-signed him to a new 10-year contract. And my, my stuffed tiger, Boris, who's like the mascot of the show, he was saying that he was sad he's only the third on there. And, and, uh, and Jared Albrick is fourth under the, under the stuffed animal. And Andy pops in and says, like, well, what did you say? I can't even remember. It was something funny. I said, I should get that seat before the tiger does. But, yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to be ahead of the stuffed animal. I'm sorry, though. Boris is Boris is very special. He's on the football show, right? But he, we, we don't have a stuffed animal for Babylon 5, unfortunately. But um, we well, just have our little we, kosh that wanders around. And the right. cats. We got, we got your cats, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, we do. He's sitting right next to me. He's sleeping now, so... Hopefully he doesn't attack the computer and disconnect us. <laughs> he has been known to hit the eject button on the show before. <laughs> <laughs> the override. Yes, he has. All right. Well, this is, again, White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, and we are into the second episode of Season 4, um, and uh, we are tonight talking about whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi. Ooh, interesting question, a, yeah. A pertinent and, question for sure. And it always throws me off because... I therefore assume, sight unseen, that this episode is mostly about Jakar and Garibaldi, and it's really not. They're just one of many. Talk about A-plots and B-plots and C-plots, as you and I have talked about many times in the past. This episode has maybe six plots going on at the same time. Right. Let's see if we can... All right, so there's the there's the Sheridan on Zahadum. Yep. There is the uh, Delenn trying to up to something with the Rangers. There is yep. the Jakar and Marcus... Yep. There is the wherever Mr. Garibaldi is. That's four. There's yep. Dr. Franklin uh, trying to figure things out. Yep. And there's Londo on Centauri Prime. That's right. six. 
Yeah. There's an there is an F plot in this episode. Well, you didn't you didn't mention uh Sheridan. Did you mention Sheridan and Yeah, that was the first one. That's the first one. Okay. Yeah, I was like, Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, there is an A B C D E and F plot on this episode. That is crazy. <laughs> I have a little factoid for you and um and in fact, I'm going to check one thing and see if I'm correct about this. Yes. There is only one ep- I've probably run this little trivia by you before. But for our listeners that maybe don't remember, never heard it, there is one episode out of all 110 episodes of Babylon 5, the regular episodes, there is one episode, one, ever, that has every member of the main cast at the time it was filmed on it, right? Every other episode leaves somebody out, like Dr. Franklin's not in it or Veer's not in it or whatever. There's one episode that has everybody they had at that time in it. And you know what episode that is? No. It was not this one because I think Veer's not in this one. Uh, well, you know, and who Susan else is not in this one. Susan, Susan Ivanova, right? First ever Ivanova-less episode. First, really? The first one ever. Yep, she was in every other episode. Wow, I did not realize that. Yeah. Holy cow! Well, that's pretty funny because this is the first with no Ivanova. Next week's episode, the summoning, is the only one that has everybody in it. That's cool. I look forward to seeing that. That's going to mm-hmm. be a busy episode. Oh, I, it may have a G and H plot. And there's probably <laughs> more than six that I'm just forgetting one here tonight. I don't know. Right. But anyway, but anyway, I think I, I think I got them all. But anyway, all right. So uh, let me get back to my notes. Yeah. So before we get going, we have to always say we do not have ads. We just have our wackiness. And if you appreciate this show, and we hope that you do, we do our best to deliver a quality product to you every couple of weeks that we do these. Um, please go to www.b5 review. Yes, right. Correct. Yeah. B5, B5 review. No, it's not. It's not plural. No. B. We have another page where the podcast posts directly, called Babylon Five Review. Podbean. That's just like that's that catches all the the podcast and posts them up there. So if you go to if you go to Babylon Five Review. you can basically find every episode we've ever recorded. But if you go to B Five Review. Um, that is our web page that has various links and features, and it has a big button that says Become a Patron. So if you click on the Become a Patron button, then it'll take you to our Patreon page where you can join up, join the team, join the family. Uh, leave comments and questions for us to answer on the air and get access to every episode a few days early and get access to various things, videos and other little special features and things that we come across or do when we have the opportunity. All right, so that's just www.b5review.com. Click on the button to become... Or you can just go to patreon.com and search for the White Rocket Reviews page and sign up. We would appreciate it. Um, we have a spoiler section. We save our spoilers to the very end. Uh, for those that are new, normally Andy and I review two episodes eh, at a time, but we're in such a the thick of things right now that we've kind of taken it down to just one per, and it, that seems to have been a wise move. Um, yeah. I, we can, there's some back in season two or three that we should have done that. This, <laughs> we should have done right. that then, you know, but that's not how it worked out. Um, let's see. So... Uh, tonight we are up to 402. Whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi? Uh, do you have any information or news items you want to throw out there before we get into this episode? Um, no, sir. I, the only thing that I that has been weighing on me lately is 
it's looking more and more grim for the uh, the Babylon Five reboot. Is it? I haven't heard a thing. What's the What's the latest? The well, the the CW has pretty much divested itself of of all things Warner Brothers. They're canceling <laughs> every DC show, um, and the the guy that runs uh, Warner HBO whatever Discovery mm-hmm. says that they don't want to do um, scripted series anymore. So, well, that's definitely a bad sign then. Yeah, things are not looking good. We'll see, but uh, things are not looking good at all. They're gonna have to change Babylon Five into a ghost hunter type show where they they take <laughs> they take Sheridan and Delenn and give them a tape recorder and have them smoke pot and go into a haunted house for an hour, spend the night in a haunted house with a tape recorder. Oh, good lord, Delenn, what was in the attic, John? There are things in the attic that no one could ever understand. <laughs> Stranger than we can possibly know. Now give me the bong. <laughs> you know what's so funny is the customer's house I was at today while I was working on their kitchen, they were watching Ghost Hunters all day long. Oh, that no. show is so laughable. Oh. <laughs> so bad. Oh. It's so much cheaper than doing a show like Babylon 5 or Battlestar Galactica. Yes. That's why they do it. Yeah. People watch it, get, and it costs them 20 they bucks. Get, right. They, they get so many so much ratings for it. It's yeah, and it, it's it's just a fraction of the cost of, of, a, of a drama. Yeah, so ridiculous. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it. I don't really have any news either. Um, it has been a my voice is probably going to start giving out. It already sounds a little rough, but remember what I do for a living is teach teach college all day. So my voice is already pretty rough. I've done two podcasts already this weekend, including one that was two and a half hours long on Monday. So we're going to try to get through this, um, and then I'm going to take a break for a few days and refresh my voice. Um, as always, do you want to kick off or do you want to defer to the second half? We don't have a second half, so you either... Dude, no, we don't. I am totally leaving this one. I know I cheated last week in, or last episode <laughs> did this, but I, I th- this one has got too much going on. You use your little cheat sheet and say, well, what, what do the, lur- the Lurker's Guide say? I'm saying, that's the thing. I just go to the <laughs> Lurker's Guide because they sum it all up in two sentences, and it's always woefully inadequate and yet somehow avoid spoilers, so... This time they say Jakar tries to avoid capture by the Centauri while continuing his search, and Delenn urges the Rangers to strike against the shadows. And by the way, I think I kind of remember how that plays out, so I'm not going to do any spoilers here. But when you first watched this episode, do you remember when Delenn brings in the Rangers and tells them we're going to freaking attack Zaha Doom in a frontal assault, basically, right? My reaction was, "Oh my gosh, no! What are you? You know, this is this is Delenn like hurling herself on the spears when her man is down. I'm afraid that was what I was afraid of. Right? Is she's like in her grief, she's just like end it all and jumps on the jumps on the swords of the enemy. What? That was what I thought. What? What did you think? When I first saw this, I thought it was a, a real fist pumping moment. I was like, "Yes, this is the Delenn that I want back. She's ready to take it to the bad guys." She's called in, you know, her troops. Yeah. She's playing her last cards, and she's going to, you know... I, and I figure this was at the beginning of Season 4. They're not going to wipe out everybody. I mean, they've already taken care of Sheridan, who's, you know, back and yeah. forth. Garibaldi, we don't know anything about. So I, I figured there's no way that they're going to also wipe her out. So I, I was excited. I thought, you know what? They're going to go for it. It's going to be a big space battle. And then the credits roll. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I, I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I probably should have felt that way, but 
knowing her and how filled with grief and almost suicidal they'd shown her in the previous couple of scenes, right. I was just like, man, she's just going down. She's like the bank robber coming out the front door of the bank with the guns blazing until they cut her down. You know what I mean? I, I thought she was like a dog day afternoon at that point. And I you know, was like, was a- don't do it, Delenn. Calm down and think. Think this through before you go out in a blaze of glory, you know. There was a deleted scene where she was actually in consultation with the Drazi ambassador and his generals. So, no, that's a joke. There really was. I, I, I'm like totally, I'm like 100% believing you. I'm 100%. Okay, let me see if I can channel my inner Drazi. Um, Delin, we like your idea of frontal assault, but we would like Minbari to lead the way while we guard the rear. <laughs> We protect the flanks. Yes. White stars are much better ships and should go first in this attack, while we Drazi hold back and guard. That's totally what they would do. <laughs> All right. So the P5 rating, and I've, I've, I, this is something I almost wish I'd done earlier, but I didn't care as much the first few seasons. But now that we're in all these big, big episodes, I'm kind of curious what the public thought at the time. The P5 rating was like people that were watching the show when it originally aired and then would go to the Lurker's Guide and vote in their poll on a scale of 1 to 10. And so it's so a number between... This is strictly when the, air, when the sh- yes. show first aired. So, so this, this is from the midnight, late, okay. late 90s. Yeah. The number was gotcha. posted at that time and it's never changed. Gotcha. Um, in fact, I think you can go to that site and click on the number and see actually like the email addresses or the screen names or whatever of everybody that voted. It's never changed. It's like in a notepad file. So, um, yeah, so it's on a scale of 0 to 10. And the P5 rating for this episode was 8.98. Pretty dang good. In fact, there's only a handful that are in the 9s because that means out of everybody that voted, they average a 9 in something. Right. You know? I think Severed Dreams we talked about and a couple others. So 8.98. I was curious, and that's interesting. Um, uh, this originally aired November the 11th, 1996. So we're still in 96, but not for much longer. Written, of course, by JMS, still in that long streak that he set the record for. Directed by Kevin Dobson. I am not familiar with Kevin Dobson on this show or any other show. I did not bother to look him up. But, um, yeah, I thought he did a pretty good job. I he didn't did, have any problem with the direction. That, yeah, that, that scene with uh, Garibaldi was especially creepy. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and JMS mentions that when we get to the what JMS said. All right, notable guest stars, of course, Wayne Alexander. We love him. We can't live without him. He was he was Sebastian Jack the Ripper. He was one of our favorite Drazi, and he is now Lorian. He is an entire J.R.R. Tolkien forest kingdom. <laughs> His first name is Loth. Uh, we have, of course, Wortham Krimmer as Emperor Cartagia. We have Lenny Citrano as Isaac and Anthony DeLongis as Harry. And I guess those are the guys from the bar. And Oh, oh right. I, what do we always say, Andy? The worst written and worst performed characters on any episode of Babylon 5 are always human thugs. Right. They are <laughs> uniformly always terrible. Right, we we love this show. We love everything about this show, but the human thugs are beyond irredeemable. I there I don't know if it's what's worse, the writing or the casting or the acting or what, but it's it's, it's, it's like so, the, the perfect storm. They always just suck. It's the one thing JMS cannot write. He reverts to like 
1930s comic books or something when he writes. Right. Totally, very, very cliched. Very cliched, one-note, dumb thugs. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Damian London as the minister, but I believe we've decided he's Minister Verini. He even has his own... That. He even has his own B5 card, Minister Rennie, yeah. All right. What kind of random factoids and notes do you have for whatever happened to Mr. G? Uh, I only have two. I already gave away the Ivanova one, so I only have two more. That's um, interesting, though. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Jakar has his Space 1999 gun again. I thought that was kind of cool. Yes, that's right. I knew I, that, <laughs> that was reminding me of something. Good, good, good. And uh, during the scene that uh, uh, when Garibaldi was in... Um, in prison and was being interrogated and he goes to rip apart that chair. He said that entire scene was ad-libbed. He had his lines, but what he was doing in there was ad-libbed. So when he went to grab the chair and to rip the chair apart, it snapped on him and he, the the other arm of the chair went right into his groin and he was in an immense amount of pain. So then he just took his rage out on all the lights and broke all the lights on the set. And the director's like, that was perfect. Which is good because you just destroyed her. <laughs> yeah, there was no. I was, I, when he did that, I'm like, I hope they have more light bulbs because he's, <laughs> he's tearing up the the set. Yeah. So that was that was all very uh, very much. Um, he was channeling his inner pain because mm-hmm. he uh, he uh, yeah. What well, what did you call the injury earlier to the soccer player? Yeah, <laughs> to facilitate. Yeah, the uh, a, a, a pelvic contusion. That yeah yeah he. Contused his pelvic on that chair. Wow. So that's yeah. It, it, you know, uh, he had a hard time on this show. There, we talked. We we documented very thoroughly what happened to him in Severed Dreams with the broken right? leg or whatever, and the yep, like the wrist broken or he arm. Had, yeah, yeah, broken yeah, arm yeah. and everything. Yeah. So, good grief. Jerry Doyle gave it. He he, he did do like Christian Pasilic. He gave up his body for his show. <laughs> for he his, did. Uh, yeah, he absolutely did. Um, all right, we have a few unanswered questions. Not so many this time. I think a lot of the unanswered questions this time really are things that get answered very quickly over the next couple of episodes, so there's not even any point of going there, right? I mean, it's like that's just going to be the plot of the next couple right. of episodes, so I didn't bother write, writing it down. Um, I was looking for unanswered questions that kind of go beyond just what we see. Um, when and under what circumstances did Lorian meet Kosh? And how would you like to have been privy to that conversation? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest here. You you get like, um, you must be a Vorlon. Yes. <laughs> wow. You have a very interesting voice. Yes. I mean, that was a fascinating conversation between those two, right? You know. Right. Now oh, I man. have a, a a question. Maybe this is on your list, or maybe not. But that Zaha Doom is not the home planet of the Shadows. That's not where they originated. <laughs> they come right? back there. That's what they were saying. Right. Yeah, right. So they that, come they... back there to pay tribute to Lorian. Right. I thought that was very interesting because mm. for some reason I had it in my brain that Zaha Doom was was their home planet, but. After listening to what he was saying, it doesn't sound like it at all. But no, I, I think they've always set it up to be the Shadow's home planet. And this is the first right. time that we've heard anything different. And I think right. everybody just assumes it is because that's where they are. 
And that's where they right. always return to. And that's, but it is interesting, too, though, that they've never said, you know, well, they say the shadows have woken up, but they also say, remember the question back in Chrysalis, the question was, have the shadows returned to Zahadum, not have the shadows right. awoken on Zahadum from their, you know, from their crypts under the surface, which is kind of how I always imagined it, but have they returned to Zahadum? So, yeah, interesting, yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Why is Lorian so interested in what happens to Sheridan? He said Sheridan was the only one to make it this far. Was he referring to the physical descent down the chasm or some more spiritual journey? So I guess the question there is why does Lorian take such an interest in John? And yeah. I, you know, that's one that we may or may not get a complete answer to as we go forward. It's, it's alluded to. I'm not sure we ever get a full answer on it. I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll see. You know, see. it's interesting that the questions he was asking Sheridan were, who are you and what do you want? Which, And then he started adding other ones. Yeah. He's the, he's the eldest. He has more questions. Yeah. Right. He, has the del- he has the deluxe set of, tri- right. of, 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 of first one trivia questions. As a writer... Yes. I always struggle with writing people who are smarter than me, which is a lot of people. <laughs> so I don't believe J- you. I, I noticed when JMS was writing this godlike, almost omnipotent figure, Yeah, he didn't give him the answers, right? This he is- didn't make him come out and say, because JMS, is any, if, he, if he gave this guy answers to prove that he was this elder being, that would sound trite, right? But yeah. by making him ask questions, mm-hmm. he asks all these questions. It makes him sound deeper and more profound and more spiritual than what anything that JMS could put, any answer JMS can put into his, his mouth. I thought that was really, really well done from a writer's a, perspective. That's a really good observation. And when you say that, what you make me think of is how not only is Lorian the one asking the questions, more of a Socratic thing, right? Like he. Right. Kn- it's that he already knows the answers. He's seeing if the, this other person does. And he's got that, I don't mean in a bad way, but he has that smug, I, you know, unflappable, you know, I know the answers already. There's nothing you could say that would surprise me kind of attitude. So you're exactly right to, to, for a character to sound smarter than everybody else. And I never thought about this, but you've totally made me realize this. For a character to sound smarter than everybody else ask questions, don't give answers, and act like you already know the answers. And if you do that, you don't have to actually know the answers. Everybody just assumes that you do. Right. It's a I'm, brilliant little trick. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to imagine anything Sheridan could have said to Lorian that Lorian would have reacted, huh? Nothing, right? Everything that John right. says, Lorian's like, Yes, and have you thought about this? You know, he's always a step ahead, five steps ahead in the story. You know, right. so yeah, that's absolutely right. That's really good. See, now I feel like we've already contributed some new information to the discussion <laughs> on this episode. Maybe that's really good. Um, Lorian said that neither Kosh nor Sheridan wanted to die. In fact, that was part of the quote problem. Unquote was that they should have died, but they don't want to die, and they're kind of stuck. Right. Yeah. From what I did, did I did I mishear Andy or did I understand that they were actually stuck in an app TikTok? <laughs> They've gotten sucked into somebody's iPhone and they're stuck right. in TikTok. 
I, you know, that's happened to me before, man. You go, you start going down that rabbit hole, and the oh. whole world just kind of yeah. disappears around you. That's my daughter. <laughs> you are that's trapped funny. between face and book. <laughs> you are between the individual and the group setting. You may stay here forever unless you figure out your settings in in between the face and the book. Oh boy. Well, that's it. That too is a good observation. All right, so the question is, and this was a this was a lurker's guide question, assuming that Lorien is able to resurrect Sheridan, we don't know that yet. Uh, is Kosh also still alive? If so, what did Kosh find to live for? You know what? I'm gonna go ahead and do it now. Well, no, I'm not. I'm gonna wait. All right. Um, yeah. So you mentioned the questions. Lorian asked Sheridan three questions: Who are you? Uh, why are you here? And what do you want? And two of those, why he was. Two of those we already know, right? There's the Shadow question: What do you want? There's the Vorlon question: Who are you? And then there was why, you know, what did he say? Why are you, what are you, why are you, he asked him something like, something in the middle. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I think it was why are you here. Yeah, something like that. Um, but they say the middle question is new. Kosh may have implied the existence of a third question in Death Walker when he told Talia, oh, I have to use the sound for this, when he told Talia, Understanding is a three-edged sword. So, by the way, Larry Dottilio gave Kosh way more dialogue than, than JMS ever did. I just want to point that out again. Right. All right. And then lastly, unanswered questions for now. Can Lorian leave Zaha Doom? He said no one leaves Zaha Doom or there's no way off it. But does that mean it's impossible? We'll see. Good question. All right. All right. I have a few odds and ends. Let's see. The engine piece that Jakar handed the man in the bar was the overthruster. Uber from Buckaroo Banzai. Come on, you can, monkey boy. There you go. That's so good. I gotta do it again. It was the what? It's it's not just the overthruster. It's the something. Uh, I don't know. It's the but it's the definitely it's the overthruster. Come on, you can, monkey boy. There we go. I, I like that. I always like to get some Buckaroo. Um, TV Guide ran an ad for this episode in November of 96, and they included a big spoiler in the ad, according to JMS. So he warned people not to read TV Guide before they watch this episode. What was the spoiler? I don't know. He didn't say. Hmm. I'm sure somebody can tell us. Uh, oh, I noted this. The recording that Franklin found when he was going through Sheridan's private stuff, <laughs> Stephen. Looking for his little black book. He was. Oh, that's what Stephen was. Stephen was a hundred percent looking for. Yeah, looking for the ladies. Sheridan's recording that that Delenn watched was made in May of 2260. So we know that was around the middle of season three. In it, Sheridan said, and this is all me by the way. I didn't get this off Lurker's Guide. In it, Sheridan says, now that we've broken away from Earth, so that means it's after Severed Dreams, which was 310. So we now know that the separation from Earth happened before May of 2260. So for whatever it's worth, and I'm sure that's a very important thing for somebody out there to know, Severed Dreams, that whole thing happened either early May or April of 2260. I would have put it like July or August based... But, yeah, somewhere around there. Anyway, um, this was interesting. I want your take on this because you're a noted appreciator of Dr. Franklin. I thought the use of Stephen in this episode was kind of random. It could have been Ivanova doing every single thing he did except for one thing. 
Uh, but it felt like they hadn't used Franklin and they wanted to give him something to do, right? He came back from walkabout and then he just kind of disappeared. Right. And so um, clearly he was needed for the scene where he had to tell Delenn not to fast so much because she's partly human, right? So that needed right. to be him. And the, the sense I got was JMS said, well, if we're already going to have Stephen on doing that, might as well have him do the other stuff that normally Susan would do. Does that, that strike you that way kind of? Yes, that make that that makes total sense. Yeah, he's because that did seem more like something Susan would be doing, but instead right, he says yeah. something like Susan found this and told me or something, and it was kind of awkward. I thought. Right, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do wish there was the scene where they dragged Jakar's broken body in in front of the Emperor and Londo, and what does Jakar say? He says, "Do you happen to know what happened to Mister Garibaldi?" Right. Which I think that always has struck me as kind of an odd thing for him to say at that moment. I know that was the mission Jakar was on when this happened, and but it still seems like he had other fish to fry at that moment than that. But I think it was meant to convey the dogged stubbornness and determination of Jakar that even when he's been captured by the Centauri and has been tortured, he's still on mission. Right. How did you read that? I read that exactly like that. That that was just Jakar being a total, you know, op, totally obstinate, not giving them anything that they wanted, and, yeah. and just kind of being, being uh, uh, like you said, just being stubborn. Yeah, yeah. That that was kind of my take on it, but I wasn't one hundred percent sure. And it, it because the first they, time you didn't they use that as a segue to Mister Garibaldi? Scene? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think so. I, I think that that was also in there for that as well to give the the viewer a segue to. I mean, yeah. that way you don't just drop that scene with Garibaldi in there and like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, I hope that they did because otherwise that would be JMS missing a golden opportunity to segue. So you got to think that that. I'm ninety percent sure that's what they did. Um, but the thing I was going to say though about that, the other thing was. I wish we could have seen more of Londo's reaction when Jakar mentions Garibaldi because for all that Jakar was friends with Garibaldi and is looking for him, Londo was Garibaldi's buddy, or at least he thought he was. Right. You know? I don't, know, right. If, I don't yeah. know if Garibaldi would say that, but Londo certainly thought so. Does Londo even know that Garibaldi has, has gone missing? No. He, okay. I don't guess. He'd already gone to Centauri Prime when that happened, I believe. Correct. But... um. But, yeah, you would think that – I just wish that they'd have shown Londo up close, a close-up, and Londo would be like, Michael? You know, or something. And I right. do realize, too, that it would have detracted from the point of the scene. But it, what it did by cutting it down to a streamlined segue is it minimized how much Garibaldi meant to Londo, which we've spent three years establishing was a lot. Right, so and he doesn't was, even bring it up. He doesn't even. Nah, bring it doesn't up even bring it up. Like, cigar, what were you yeah. saying about Garibaldi? Yeah, right. I, I wish he could. I wish he'd stopped at the door and turned back and said, "They didn't even. You know what they did? They wouldn't have even had to finish the scene because we already know. All they had to do was at the end of the scene where Londo and Jakar are talking privately, they wrap that conversation up, and then Londo's leaving, and he stops and turns back and says, "What were you saying about Mr. Garibaldi?" And then you just cut it right there. You'd right. assume that Jakar would tell him. You don't need to see that. Just have him right. ask. Just show that he's wondering. That's all I needed. Something like that. Right. Especially now that that Londo is turning a little bit back towards the light. Yes. Know, that he would yes. he would fall back onto his old yes his old his friendship with Garibaldi because that was that was the last thing that was cut 
was mm-hmm. his friendship with Garibaldi. That's I mean, Garibaldi cut that. So, yeah, that that would have been a nice little uh, um, nod to that. No, hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. Um, by let's see. Oh yeah, I thought it was interesting too that that Garibaldi ends up in the hands of his worst enemies, the Psychor. And by going to find him, Jakar ends up in the hands of his worst enemies, the Centauri. Mm-hmm. And Sheridan is kind of in the hands of his worst enemy, the Shadows. Yeah. And um, Franklin's in kind of his worst situation. There's no chicks around to hit on. So everybody's <laughs> kind of miserable right now. Everybody's everybody's in a bad shape, man. Everybody's of, miserable. You know, he might, he might be making the moves on, on Delenn here pretty soon because, <laughs> you know, Sheridan's be like, out of the picture. <laughs> Well, Ambassador, I, I hate to say it, but it, there's not that many fish in the sea here in, on Battle <laughs> 5, so uh, if you're not doing anything later. Um, all right, I have a few JMS tidbits. Uh, JMS said this was an easy script to write. It only took him a few days. He says generally the faster the write, the better the script. Uh, that, that, uh, that amazes me because yeah. some of, the, some of the, the dialogue in this was so good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like really deep stuff. That's impressive. Now, I find that that's true too, though. You know, I've 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 always, you know, in in 2018 I wrote Vegas Heist, which is one of my most award-winning books, and it took me once I got started on it six weeks. So wow. when you get going and you really have it, it's fast. Yeah. There's another book I've been working on for 17 years, and I'm not even sure how good it is. Right. So there comes a point where you kind of have to say, you know, maybe this thing just isn't meant to be, but. uh <laughs> But yeah, no. When they come out that fast, it usually means that everything's working, and that's I think that was what happened here. That makes sense. Sorry to interrupt uh, you. No, 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 absolutely. And um, let's see. He talks about Garibaldi's scene where he uh, does kind of that stuttering edit of it. They they came up. He and the he and John Copeland came up with it and sat down and did that in the editing room. It was kind of cool. There were yeah, several things cool. in this. There were several things in this episode that JMS said basically they were trying to do some new things, some things that were different. Because when you've been doing a show into the fourth season, you want to find some different ways of doing things. And that was that's appreciated. All right, here's some math. Um, somebody pointed out, Dr. Franklin says it was 14 days since Sheridan's death and nine days since Garibaldi's disappearance, but they happened at the same time. How is that possible? And JMS right. says, this is a case where JMS screwed up, says JMS. <laughs> He said, originally the script read, it's, four, it's now 14 days since Captain Sheridan left for Zahadoom and was presumed killed, nine days since Mr. Garibaldi disappeared while on patrol. I went to edit the first sentence to make it active rather than passive. In handwriting on the page, I meant to write, it is now nine days since Captain Sheridan was presumed killed. I either missed changing the days or the typist didn't put it in. It happens. <clears throat> and that draft of the script is long gone. Uh, but I'll take the hit for it. And I'm considering revoicing it. We just didn't catch it until it was gone. I don't think they ever did revoice it, did they? Didn't it still say 14 and 9? Yeah, I, I just watched it on HBO Max, which is the most recent uh, mm-hmm. edition of, of the right. show, and it, it said 14 and 9, because that confused me as well. Yeah, and JMS says mea culpa, so. Yeah. Um, oh, there's a great long thing here I'm not going to read. But somebody said that when Marcus was talking to Jakar, he used a line from Zork. And JMS just goes off. like He's like, not everything I write is an illusion or an Easter egg. He says, we did a few of those in the first season, and now everybody thinks that everything, every word out of every character's mouth is an Easter egg for something else. He says, sometimes 
it's just a sentence, you know, it's just something they say. He goes, I'm sorry if I'm a bit cranky in answering this, but Jesus Christ, people, give it a rest and stop looking for references that don't exist. There are only so many permutations in the English language, and something has got to echo somewhere for everyone, but that ain't the source. Oh, look, he used the word the in this episode. He must be nodding at the Ipcris files or them and leaving off the M to throw us off. (laughs) Good old JMS, man. When he gets cranky... I don't even know what Zork is or was. Well, it's that computer game that was like a text-based adventure game. Oh, gotcha. And it's also, spoiler for Ready Player One, the book, it's it's a big part of the quest. In I remember that vaguely, and I was a little confused by that part, because I, like oh, I said, I, so I never, I, I, well, I, I'm not familiar with Zork. It's, it's so good. Uh, well, no, the, the Zork game was like when computers were just text, no images. Right, right. And so it would say something like, "Turn." you'd type turn right and say, you see. Right. It's kind of like a computer-based Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. yeah. Right. I walk down the street, a monster jumps out. I pull out my sword, he eats you. You know, right. that kind of thing. I probably um, got that from the context while reading that book. Right, yeah. Oh, now i got to go back and listen to the audiobook of Ready Player One again. It's just my That's favorite. Such an awesome audiobook. It's oh, so good. It's so good. It is really good. Folks, if you've never read Ready Player One, the book is great, but Will Wheaton performing, not reading, when Will Wheaton performs the audiobook, the audible audiobook of Ready Player One, it is perfection. I kid you not, yeah. I've read the book three or four times in my hand, but I have listened to the Ready Player One audiobook at least six, seven times, and I'm about ready to go start it over again. I've been listening to War and Remembrance, which is 56 hours long, and I just finished The Winds of War, which was 50 hours long. But I'm thinking about pausing World War II for a little bit and listening to Ready Player One again, just because it's so good. It's so good. I mean, I love the movie. I'm one of those few people that love the book and the movie equally. I love them both. They're fantastic. Two two entirely different things, but they are both very good. Two entirely different things, but both, and they each have their strengths and they each have their weaknesses in different right. ways. Right. Yeah. But they complement each other perfectly. If you, if, like if you read the book and you go, oh, I wish he had done this differently, well, watch the movie and you're like, oh, well, he did it there. <laughs> you know, like you read the book and you go, I wish that the female character had more agency. Well, watch the movie. She does, right? You know what I mean? But then you watch right. the movie and you're like, I wish they could have gone on like a more long and involved quest instead of the ones that take five minutes. Read the book. Oh, they go on one that lasts two months. You know what I mean? So th- between the two, you get everything. It's perfect. It's perfect. But yeah, listen to the Will Wheaton audio. He's fantastic. It's, he was born to do that audio book. He elevates the material. He does. And the material's already yeah. great. Right. Oh, but but we digress. We do. I could talk about Ready Player One all freaking night. <laughs> we should I, we should save this for a different episode or a, a different podcast. Different podcast. Well, you know, I've done like Maybe. four of the. I've done like four Ready Player One episodes of the White Rocket Podcast with John Ringer. But you and I haven't ever talked about it. I'd love to get your thoughts uh, on it when you do that. I'm game if if you are because I have read both books and I've seen the movies. So yeah, yeah. Mira and I've seen the movie like fifteen times. Um. All right. Um. The uh, last couple of things, JMS said that he asked Chris Frankie to break our heart with the music at the end of the episode, and he said he did. And I that that's a good segue. I want to just play this. I have it here queued up. You're not embracing life. You're fleeing death. So you're caught in between, unable to go forward or backward. 
Your friends need what you can be when you are no longer afraid. When you know who you are and why you are and what you want. When you are no longer looking for reasons to live, but can simply be. I can't. I don't know how to do that. Then I cannot help you. And you will be caught forever in between. You must surrender yourself to death. The death of flesh. The death of fear. Step into the abyss. And let go. It's getting darker. I know. Your close friend. Very close. It's easy to find something worth dying for. Do you have anything worth living for? I can't see you anymore. As it should be. I fall. How will I know if you'll catch me? I caught you before. What if I die? I cannot create life, but I can breathe on the remaining embers. It may not work, but I can hope. Hope is all we have. Have anything worth living for? Sleep now. I will watch and catch you if you should fall. Len. That, my friend, that is three minutes untouchable. Yep. Genius. It was an awesome awesome scene. Every word, every exchange, structured perfectly. Yep. And then it segues into the flashback of him falling, the Lynn watching him when he's lying there and says, "If if I'll catch you if you fall. He says, do you have anything? It's easy to find something worth dying for. Do you have anything worth living for? And he goes, Delenn. And then he's lying there on the ground, and Lorian's looking down at him. I'm just like, that is one of the high points of this. You know what? I got to go and reevaluate my rating at the end now. I've changed it. I just changed it. <laughs> I just changed it. I did. I just changed it. Boom. I just changed it. You'll find out in a minute. All right. That is that's incredible, and that scene is just amazing. It was a very powerful scene. It was it. Uh, yeah. It was it was great. All right. Well, there's several other JMS things. I don't want to go on forever. Um, right. Um, yeah, so, uh, the one, there was a couple of things toward the end. Um, somebody said they, he calls, Lorian calls Kosh it, and Sheridan calls Kosh him. And JMS says female is an irrelevant concept to the Vorlons. That's interesting. Interesting. Well, they are kind of like angels, and angels are all male, allegedly. Well, angels are asexual. But, yeah, but they're male-oriented, but asexual. Like, they're Gabriel and, you know, whatever. They're not... Right. They're not yeah, I, I get Alice, you know, whatever. It's uh, <laughs> gender is gender, and I don't want to go there. It's fine. I'm just right. saying they're supposed to. That's that's what I was always taught. Um, he, yeah, he says I think Lorian is beyond concepts of male and female as they pertain to the Vorlons. That's our perception of them, not his. How long can bits of Vorlon consciousness consciousness survive? Uh, and J, that would be an unanswered question. But JMS says they can't survive for long on their own. 
but does that mean on their own or inside a person? Correct. I don't know. That's a good question because Kosh has been with with uh, um, Sheridan for a while now. Yes. Yeah. What did the Vorlons tell Lita about their intentions? And JMS says only that they'd still respect her in the morning. Wow. <sighs> JMS. Was Lorian waiting for she? That is pretty good. Was Lorian poor? Poor Lita. Honestly, uh, she gets out of everybody on the show. I guess we should right. put that in the spoiler space. But dang, was Lorian waiting for Sheridan in particular? JMS. He was waiting for whoever would be the first to get that far. That's, a, that's kind of a Ready Player One reference, really. <clears throat> and then lastly, about the questions. Why are you here? Asked by Lorian is the third question. Well, there we go. I forgot I put it on here. The balance point between the two there's a fourth question coming though that may be do you have anything worth living for maybe he forgot he already asked it on here i can't remember that could be okay all right we'll find out next episode there you go yes we will there you go all right you know by the way i i was reminded here that i you know when when this show originally aired and we're having to wait a week between episodes it seemed to me that sheridan down in the tunnels of zahadoom went on for like six episodes it felt like Right. Uh, I didn't even remember that he even appeared in the, in the Hour of the Wolf. I was thinking you didn't even see him for the first time until this one, just to really make you think he was dead. Right. But we got some of him in the first episode, and we got a good bit of him here, so things are progressing along faster than I remembered. I guess it's just you're, you're waiting a week and a week and a week, and it seems... Exactly, yeah. It felt like that they, they drew it out for the whole first half of the fourth season. But Yes. Yeah. And it's really I, I, only I two or three. Yeah, it's really right. only two or three. Um. Okay, let's get into the categories. High point of the episode, Andy. I. You know what? I have two high points. The first okay. one uh, was that scene that we just discussed. That was just a beautiful, awesomely yes. scripted, scored, and directed and acted the the whole nine yards. Uh, but we've already been over that one, so I'll go to my B. My B is uh when Delenn was rallying the. Rangers, and she said, I offer you one final chance to fly. I thought that was super cool. That was a yeah. neat scene. Because like I said earlier, it just brings back the old Delenn, the Delenn from you know, Severed Dreams. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was very excited to see that. So, yeah. I believe her quote at some point in the series, and this is not much before, is, never forget who I am or what I can do. Yep. And sometimes and JMS lo- did. Right, right. If you look at her face when Dr. Franklin's talking to her, and she's just completely lost. I mean, she is, she's just waiting for death to claim her, you know? And it, yes. you can, the, the acting in this, in this episode was fantastic from top to bottom. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. knocked it out of the park. But that mm-hmm. scene with, with, with Delenn's monologue there when she's talking to Franklin was powerful. And then just the next scene she was in when she's rallying the troops, her demeanor is entirely different. I thought that was super cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. My high point was this episode that I ju- the, the the scene that I just played. Yeah, that that last three or four minutes with Lorian and Sheridan just wrecks me every time. Just it's just astonishingly yeah. good. And that's an episode full of high points. There's just so right. many. Oh yeah, so oh, many. Yeah, you could have gone with Jakar and and Marcus. You could have mm-hmm. gone with Jakar and and um, Londo. Londo. I mean, yeah. You any any of the plots except for possibly Doctor Franklin's. Had a, a, a possible high moment scene in it. I agree. I agree. Um, low point of the episode, and we usually say low point now to mean depressing emotional, or yeah. emotional. Yeah. For this one, uh, it was the the scene I just mentioned when Delenn was confessing to Franklin how she thought everything was her fault and how she was 
completely despondent and mm-hmm. and just ready to to let go of everything and, and give in. So that was, I mean, that was possibly the lens lowest emotional point of the entire series. Yes, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think so. Yeah, with everything else going on at this part of the story, I I will admit that sometimes I lose track of Delenn and her emotional state because I'm focused on the bigger picture kind of. But that is something very, very much important to the story is how, you know, before he left for Zaha Doom, he basically said to her, you lied to me, you, cut, you kept information from me, that's almost unforgivable. And, yep. you know, and then he left and she was kind of left thinking he's going to die and I'm, it's my fault. Right. And, so. you know, it's worth pointing out, you and I have both mentioned that the, the best parts of Babylon 5 come in those quiet scenes. Yeah. And especially those scenes between Delenn and, and uh, Sheridan. Yeah. And it's cool that the big moment with Lorian that, that keeps the show going, that keeps Sheridan involved, the, the whole nine yards, isn't a big you know, I need to live for the universe or for the galaxy or to defend, you know, the light or to, to put down the shadows. It was the thing I have to live for is the lead. I thought mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. super cool. That was that just, is. it just puts their relationship right to the forefront and right in the, the spotlight. I thought that was, was awesome. Yeah. Cause I mean, <laughs> I'd have probably been like, he's like, you know, he's like, Lorian is saying, like, you know, why, you know, why are you here? Why should you live? Whatever. I'd be like, uh, cause Jack the Ripper said I was the right person at the right place at the right time, <laughs> right. man. Come on. I, and that he, would have been entirely legit. Yes. To say that. Yes. He, because he, I'm, I've been chosen. I'm the, the chosen one. Yeah, I've got right. too much to do. I've got to save the galaxy. Right. Darn too. Yeah, and all those would have been perfectly legit, but no. And, and, Delent. Got currently have Vorlon inside me to back me up. Yes, right. <laughs> Not everybody can say that. Shut up, Lita. Not everybody can say that. Which, which, by the way, there will be a again. Not a spoiler. Just a just a hint. There will be a scene later in the show where that is used to good use. So you will get more out of that. It, just so you know, there is more coming where you get something good out of that about the whole thing with Lita and the, the Vorlon. Um, my low point was seeing Jakar in chains all bloody just because he wanted to look for his missing friend. And as I said, I wish they could have pointed that out yeah. to Londo, but we talked about that. But yeah, that for me was a low point just because he was so noble and he ends up getting captured by the stupid Centauri. Am I the only one? I'm asking you, Andy, and I'm also asking all of our listeners. Am I the only one that feels like one Narn should, should, should be able to butt whoop 15 Centauri in any situation? You would figure... Well, what? I don't know. I, I've seen Narn foo, and it's never very yeah. impressive when Jakar pulls that out. So. But but Centauri have Centauri foo too, though. That's true. <laughs> and it's not pretty in those vests. No, it's not. Oh yeah, yeah, not good. Yeah. All right. Oh oh, here we go. Most Babylon Five scene for this episode. There were a lot of Babylon Five scenes in this episode. Go figure. It's a Babylon Five three- episode. I have three of them written down, two of them crossed out because I kept adding a new one each. <laughs> All right, Every let's time hear it. something came up. I'm going to uh, the most Babylon 5 scene was um, when Jakar was presented as the gift. Yeah. And then later in the, the jail cell, the bargain that they struck because that is the culmination of the, the core uh, conflict since episode one those two hating each other, the, the core character conflict those two hating each other and this is the culmination of it and it took three and a half seasons you know to, to uh, almost uh, three uh, over three seasons to get to this point 
and and for them to to finally and they are both in entirely different places than they were in in season one. So to see these two coming together to save, I mean, to have Jakar relying on Londo to save his world, and to have Londo relying on Jakar to save you know the Empire is astounding. I never would have guessed that in in episode one, season one. So no. I mean, it's it's just super cool. Not at all. And very very Babylon Five to see how that all worked out. And and to see. Londo conflicted all along. He's been conflicted all along, right? Season one, he pretty much wanted to kill Jakar with his bare hands. But really, ever right. since the ever since the coming of Shadows in season two, he's had a conscience. You know what I mean? He'll he'll rant and rave about Jakar, but he also kind of he has those moments where he's like, <gasps> kind of like, oh no, what have I done? You know. And the only time he didn't do it was when he turned into Londo Hitler briefly. You know, when the long when the long twilight struggle or whatever when they when the when this when 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 the narn home world fell and 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 londo was out there in the council acting like you know it was a meeting of the reichstag that was the only time that he didn't have some kind of a compassionate conscious conscience thing going on and so here He's so visibly shaken and revolted and horrified when he even sees Jakar chained up to the wooden post and everything. Yep. Basically, he's Jesus with the cross. I mean, let's you know be honest. And right. then, and not, then, not the first allusion to that. Right. Right. And then, and by the way, when the when the door opens after the after the conversation with Londo, when they make the deal. And then, and then Londo opens the door. The white light shines on Jakar. JMS said that was absolutely intentional, right? 100% oh, intentional. Sure, yeah. yeah, like a halo. Yeah. But, but Londo looks with revulsion and horror at, at Jakar even being in that situation. And then when they're alone in the room, Jakar, I don't remember the exact quotes or anything, but Jakar is kind of like, you know, this is what you always wanted, isn't it? Aren't you happy? And Londo is just kind of like, no. <laughs> I mean, he says, you were never a friend to me. But and he's I don't I don't remember exactly how he puts it, but he basically says, you know, I I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, you know, which for right. a while was you, and, <laughs> right? And and uh, we say this all the time. Peter Jurassic is such an incredible actor, yes. but in this scene, this is some of his absolute best work. I don't know how yeah. I, how he didn't win an Emmy for this one scene. It was just just phenomenal. My <laughs> wife watching the scene looked over at me. She goes, "Oh my god." I mean, she was just, like, stunned. It was so good. Yeah. Just his delivery was just astounding. It was – I could I could go back upstairs and watch it right now. I mean, it was it was really just that good. Yes, absolutely. No, he's amazing. Yeah, it, that, this show should have won Emmys. There's no doubt. It, it should have won more than yeah. – more things than it did. It got – it did get a couple of Hugo Awards for dramatic presentation, but it should have gotten acting Emmys for – at least for those two guys. Right. There's no doubt about it. Um, my most Babylon Five scene was the fleet of white stars coming through the jump point when Delenn summons the Ranger fleet. I thought you would name that, that was one. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's a, that that's was a pretty cool. One. It was just it was too brief. I mean, it was it just was. Like really quick. I just wasn't expecting it at all. I'd forgotten about it completely. So when all of a sudden yeah. all those white stars come around, I'm like, whoa, here we go. So I'll take that. Yeah. But there were but there were a bunch in this episode. To be fair, yeah. there were a lot. It, yeah, there it, again, any any one of the the plots could have had a, a most Babylon Five scene. Faux show. Sure. Uh, all right, favorite character moment. Uh, favorite character moment was when Delenn was watching John's personal log, the message. I thought that was super cool. Same. Because yeah. every everything he said yeah. about jumping off, you know, I, I, jumping off the cliff and and hoping to live, that that just 
it, it was kind of a foreshadowing after the fact of yes. everything that he is currently going through. I thought that was really cool how he did that. And I mean, it, it's it's one of the themes of the, the the series practically is is jumping. You know, when you have no no hope of living, but hoping you can learn how to fly and and, and pull something out of your butt. And they continue to do that in, in this in this series, and it's 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 awesome. Well, he he, as you alluded to, he did get in. He did manage to squeeze in yet another. My dad always told me, right. At this point, Delenn has to think that all humans operate on a system of doing what their dad once told them to do. Right. <laughs> right. I can see Delenn building a little chrysalis chamber. My dad always told me to put the square chrysalis cube <laughs> on top of the triangle. You know. Oh boy. Um, no, I love it though. I love it. It's always so good, and I like when his dad actually does show up. Uh, Ron Howard's dad, which is so funny that Sheridan's yeah. dad is Ron Howard's dad. That's perfect. It makes me think that Sheridan grew up in Mayberry, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> down the street from Andy and Opie and Aunt B was Johnny, John, smiling Johnny, right down the street, <laughs> going fishing at the fishing hole with uh, with Opie, little Opie Cunningham, as as uh, Eddie Murphy used to say, little Opie Cunningham. Oh, uh, but yeah, Delenn's facial expressions, Delenn's reactions too when she's watching Sheridan's re- recording, yep. she's just like she's like she's down, she's up, she's terrified, she's in sorrow, she's elated. She reaches out and touches right. him. I mean, again, right. and that one, Mira Furlan, Mira Furlan, ladies and gentlemen. Right, exactly. And that's another scene that totally got my wife emotionally. I mean, it just because she went through the whole the whole medical scare just recently and, oh and, yes and, yes i mean it was just uh, i mean it it really hit her and she she was a i mean she mm. loved this episode she thought this was a fantastic episode again I'm, because of all the quiet moments i'm so jealous of you my wife just does not like this show doesn't get it doesn't want to get it doesn't have any interest in it at all and and, and your wife obviously has discerning taste on these things it's <laughs> figured I, out how what? great it is i keep saying that i'm the luckiest dude in the world and, and <laughs> she, she continues to prove me right <laughs> My wife has plenty of good qualities. It's just that she doesn't appreciate Babylon sure, Five fully. I'm sure. And you know what? My wife isn't big into sci-fi stuff. She's yeah. just not. So the right. fact that she's even watching this with me is is impressive. There you go. Yeah. Uh, oh, funniest moment. I think I probably know what it's going to be because I think there was really only one. But maybe I'm forgetting something. But go ahead. There, uh, there was. This is the one I can remember. It's when uh um. Uh, what's his name? Marcus was talking about Pykel Envy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They were well, impressed with the size of his pike. I thought that my, was funny. Yes. Mine is from that same scene, but it's when Jakar opens the pike and nearly kills Marcus with it. <laughs> yes. It goes, it shoots that out in both so directions, misses Marcus's head by like two inches and hits the wall or whatever. Somebody, I didn't catch this, but somebody said there was a cat screeching noise there. Like he did hit there a cat. There was. <laughs> you know, there was a cat noise earlier in that scene, and my wife and I looked at each other like our cats were fighting, but they were both sleeping in opposite sides of the couch. I'm like, where was that from? And then when he shot the the, the mm-hmm. pike into the boxes and the cat yowled, I was like, oh, it was they were setting that up. Okay, I missed all that, but yeah. but the but then the the kicker, as they say, was after he does that, and Marcus is like, what the heck, man? Jakar goes. I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he appreciated that weapon. He wanted one of his own, probably. Uh, okay. Who won this episode? I, the who won and who lost, I had a hard time with this time. Harder uh, than usual. I did, too. And, and I actually discussed this with my wife. I wanted to get her input, mm. um, her input on this. 
I want to say, and I'm going to cheat and choose two winners for this one. Okay, all right. One of them is, is an obvious one, I think, and that's Delenn, because she went from her lowest point to having hope again. Get, getting, I can see that. You know, getting the, the fleet together and all that. But my other one, the one that I really want to go with is Jakar, uh, because Jakar finally, finally made a deal that actually has some hope of freeing his people. Hmm. I, I I'll give you the Delin one. I can see that. I actually had Londo maybe one because he got a gift handed to him that may be the tool he needs to save the day, at least on Centauri Prime. And he managed yeah. to avoid getting killed for another episode. Oh, that that was a factoid I missed. Um I did read this. Um, JMS said that he wrote that scene where Londo goes in the throne room and he's late because he had to get dressed, you know. And Cartagia is like, Londo, you know, we should be very angry with you. You were late, you know. And he says, oh, but your majesty. And he explains that I can't come see you without being dressed properly. And um, and he says, well, then I won't have you killed, you know. And um, um, JMS said that the way he wrote that was that Londo was standing up to Cartagia. He's one of the reasons Cartagia likes Londo is that Londo will stand up to him up to a point but does it in a way that he doesn't get himself in trouble. You know what I mean? He's able to stand up to him and then show Cartagia why it's the wise thing to do or whatever, right? He's very good at that. I mean, Londo basically has become the vizier to the emperor or whatever, you know, right. uh, whispering in his ear. Well, they said the director totally missed the subtext the, there and just thought it was Londo basically pleading for his life. And so the way the director had Londo do it was much more like whiny, beggy kind of thing. Like, oh, no, you know. And, and so JMS said he took Peter over to the side and said, this is, how you, this is how this was written. And then Londo played it that way, and it was how we saw it. So yeah. there was some miscommunication there. I'm glad they did it the way they did it because it made Londo look right. form, more formidable. Which is what we want, right? It made him look like, yeah, it made him look like he's manipulating the yeah. the uh, the um, emperor, right? Yeah, um, and it shows Cartagia how it shows how shallow Cartagia is that he never really seems to fully catch on to how Londo is manipulating him, right? Yeah, um, I had for who lost the episode Jakar to a degree, but you have persuaded me that by losing he also may have won, so that's fair. Yeah. Did you have a loser? Did I already mention? Did you already mention that one? I did. I think that the uh, clear loser was Mr. Garibaldi because okay. he yeah. is trapped, he's broken, and yeah. he is in the hands of his worst enemy possible. Yeah, yeah. That's the difference. Is that Jakar is in the same situation, but we got that one extra scene that something good may come from it, no matter how right. bad it gets. Whereas with Garibaldi. We still haven't seen anything other than here's his predicament. So we're right. gonna we're gonna need more scenes with Garibaldi to find out is he just utterly screwed or is this the beginning of something bad, something good? We don't know, right? We don't know enough yet. The Garibaldi plot is like one episode behind the other plots, so we right. don't know, right? Um, all right, well, we're down to the rating. All right, so here's what we do, folks. Between a rating of one and five, and we do we do point we do allow point five, so it could be zero point five to four point five to five. I don't think we've ever had going to have a five point five. Five is the limit. <laughs> um, and Andy and I have interesting uh, reactions to each other here. 
this is an interesting one. I've just changed mine. I have just changed mine. You know mine. what? I, I have changed mine as well. Oh, wow. Over the course, over the course of this episode, I have changed mine. Um, I, well, I, Andy, Andy. As a, hold up, hold up, hold up. Before you say any more, okay, I've noticed something. The earlier seasons, you tended to rate slightly higher than me. And the last yeah. two seasons, you tend to rate slightly, on average, lower than me. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. I, I think that's true. I isn't thought it? we were, I thought we were more spot on most of the time. I thought we were pretty close most of the time, within point five of each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But usually, like yeah. if, I, like in the first oh. two seasons, you'd be like a, you, um, you'd be like a three point five. I'd be like a three. Whereas now yeah. I'm like a three point five, and you're like a three. You know what I mean? It's like we've right, right. Or you're a five and I'm a three. <laughs> yeah, or there are those. Yeah, I may have said it wrong just now. It's getting late, but you know what? You know what I mean. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. I, I, because, oh, golly, from a writer's perspective, I thought this one was extreme. This was a lot like the last episode where it's a lot of holding pattern type stuff. Nothing really gets truly resolved. Yes. But I think in yes. this one, this one does it differently. So it's. I thought it was much better, and it was much more satisfying. I gave this one a four point five. Woo! Ah! Wow. I, I had it as a four, but after discussing that that scene that that we discussed, I I, I couldn't give it anything less than a because that was just such a powerful scene. It was I'm, so well crafted. I'm and telling the, the writing from the the writing throughout this episode. Uh, was phenomenal, and and the the acting was so good on on every level. Um, I, I thought, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't just give it a four. It's it's definitely a four point five. Well, what you just said, I'm like a hundred percent agreement all the way across the board, including the fact that you said this episode didn't have a lot of like conclusions to it. It was like moving the pieces around some more. That I actually thought that when I was trying to come up with the who won and who lost. Because honestly, right. to a large degree, this episode didn't have a winner or loser. It just had people in transition from one point to another. There was a lot of moving around the board. You know, if this was chess, the pieces were being moved around the board, but not many pieces were being taken yet. They're just getting lined up. Right. They're getting lined up, right? So there's not real loser and a winner. Right. I had this rated a 4.0 and after we talked about it, I changed it to a 4.5. How about that? Same as you. Yep. I, it's, Same it's legit, man. It's as legit. you. Touchdown, <laughs> There you go. My my highest compliment is the touchdown. Auburn, so, yeah. I guess I could go with. And I say you. That's a pretty big one, too, right there. All right. So we both agree 4.5. And coming in. I did not expect to be giving this one a 4.5. I didn't either. I read the synopsis of it before watching it, and I'm like, it's going to be just like last episode, and then Van's going to yell at me because I gave it another three. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but... Wrong! No, it was... (laughs) This was much better than I remember. With the title, again, I always just think this is like, oh, it's something about Garibaldi and the being held, whatever. It was barely that at all. That really had more to do yeah, with uh, that, it had more to do with Jakar's mission than it did with Garibaldi himself. Yeah, that yeah, the whole thing with Mister Garibaldi had more to do with Jakar than about Mister Garibaldi. You're right. That's right. This was more a Jakar episode by far than it was Garibaldi. In fact, I argue Garibaldi probably appeared in this episode less than any other major character that was in it. Yeah. Probably, yeah. 
Yeah, that I one agree. scene. It was just uh, the the emotional impact of everything was was pretty heavy. Pretty heavy. All right, before we get out of here, I got to quickly thank our patrons, the folks that keep the show going. That includes Christopher Anastasia, Allison Rich, Colonel Dad, aka Ari Benzane. I am missing my category, Mister. Emma Jane Alexander, <laughs> Leah G, Rich Hammett, Debbie Norris, Dragon Con Delin, Emmanuel Seaman, Jal Ja. Lady Sif, Mondo Six, Michael O'Connor, Steve Palmer, Andy secretly rates War Without End of Five. <laughs> Good old Steve. <laughs> this is just going to be with us for the rest of the series. <clears throat> Excuse me. Stu Parker, The Geek Boy, Heather and Yancey Steingrabber, Hour of the Wolf, Maine, a.k.a. Daft Zeppelin. He always has a good line there. Ice Cream Clone yep. with Boba Fett Head and Michael Halbrook. Thank you guys all so much. Those are our uh, absolute awesome... Uh, patrons that keep the show going, and they have a couple of comments this time. Allison says, "The I, hour of the." I'm sorry. I had a, a, a message from Allison too. She actually sent a picture of Emperor oh. Cartagia and uh-huh. and uh, the uh, Caligula uh, Roman Emperor uh, Caligula, and it's striking. The resemblance yes. is really, really pretty cool, especially in the the face, not the hairstyle, because you know he didn't have the wasn't the centauri, a centauri, far as we know, right? But uh, the the jawline and the nose and the mouth and everything it was it was pretty darn cool, very which very is similar. interesting because um, the the statue I've seen of Caligula is the one that looks a lot like Malcolm McDowell in the movie that they made. Was oh it Malcolm, yeah, Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, so that's two completely different versions of Caligula that I've seen in terms of depicting him. But yeah, I, uh, my yeah, history I think, teacher played us that movie in high school. Oh my gosh, wasn't that like a penthouse <laughs> movie or something? <laughs> It was pretty bad. <laughs> and I went to a Catholic high school. <laughs> wow. Good Lord. No pun intended. All right. Allison yeah. says, The Hour of the Wolf is also one of the lesser-known Vorlon time designations. It follows the Hour of Longing. <laughs> I like it. I, we always forget. The Hour of Scampering. Without Larry Dottilio around, we don't get those Vorlon time designations anymore. <laughs> That's brilliant. And and. You never hear much talk about the hour of the imbibing of the malt liquor. That's right. like a in the middle of the night. The Vorlons have that have that hour. Right. Um, the hour of pouring one on the curb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Lita's action <laughs> shot because we talked about how the f- opening of season four has like a face shot on one side and an action shot on the other, and and she's shooting somebody right. She's looking around the right. corner and firing, but she has a haircut that's different than you know it's earlier. Uh, it, she says, Lita's action shot is from when she shows up to expose the mole among the staff. So it's from Divided Loyalties then. Ah. Uh, she, she's attacked in a corridor. And remember, Pat Tallman was a stunt woman, so she's good at action. Oh, I, I'm very aware yeah. that Pat Tallman was a stunt woman. She did her own stunts. And she, she did stunts just as a stunt woman. And when she would act, she would also do her own stunts as well. Yeah. And she was on Star Trek some. She was on Star Trek uh, several episodes. There yeah. was at least three episodes. She was a Klingon in one. She was a, a Star Trek security officer in another one. So, That's yeah, what I remember. Been on there a few times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they know what Caligula looked like from Roman Stone Bust. I looked in there as a pretty good resemblance. Yeah, she sent that to us. Season four has some of the best Ivanova moments. You're right. She was a backdrop for a lot of season three as Sheridan and Lynn's relationship was more of a focus. Yeah, I agree. We we need more Susan. The one way Babylon 5 never goes wrong is when it gives us more Susan Ivanova. That's always the case. Colonel Dad says, Mr. Morden had burns like a sunburn. Guys, he looked like the thing from the Fantastic Four. Talk about crusty. 
And then he noted Gandalf couldn't make it this week. He was double booked on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> and who who wasn't double booked on Deep Space Nine? That is the that is the, all right. That's our comments. That is our comments for this week. Thank you, patrons, very very much. If you'd like to have yeah. your comments and questions read on the air, just deposit them on the Patreon page, and we will happily uh, address them. Allison um, is a font of Babylon Five trivia. She's she's she amazing. Is. Just to chat with her, she's really cool. Oh, absolutely. We have a number of, of our listeners that are like that, but she's always been right yeah. among the very best. Um, yep. All right. So before we go into, I don't really have a lot for Vorlon Space, but uh, spoiler space. But I will say that our next episode, four hundred three, is the summoning. And as I mentioned, it has the distinction, I believe, of being, I read this somewhere a long time ago, uh, it has the distinction of being the only episode where every major cast member appears at the same in the same episode. Um, let me go ahead and hit the button, and then we can see. Jump gate activated. Hey now. <laughs> All right. I always- I always yeah. missed that last part. <laughs> yeah, one of these days I'm going to hit the, uh, the the portal sound there, and we're going to hear. <laughs> I'll be like, "Oh no, wrong portal, wrong portal! No, no, we're we're going to see a blue box go flying by, spinning around. No, we don't want that." All right. Well, that that franchise has recently been picked up by uh, Disney, so that's Disney. Be it's going to be very interesting coming up. Yeah, I'm looking forward. And to it. Disney is now being sniffed at by apple so that could be very interesting apples apples wanting to buy disney yeah the the only fish big enough to swallow that fish is that fish right exactly there's no other fish maybe exxon that could swallow disney oh my god i read somewhere that that apple has more cash on hand than any other corporation on the planet just, oh, yeah. just cash in the bank. Just can't, yeah, they have like a trillion dollars in the bank or something. It's just something stupid. I don't doubt it. I mean, and you know their boss is an Auburn University graduate. I did not know that. Tim Cook is our boy, and I keep leaning on him to support the football team and the basketball team right. because <laughs> right. Oregon has Phil Knight, and Oklahoma State had that old oil dude that died. Right, the yeah. big team, the big programs have that one rich guy, or, and I'm Oregon like, man, that, uh, the Nike yeah. guy, Phil Knight, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm like, come on, Tim, what's up? Channel some of that right. Apple money down to the planes, man. We need some, need some stuff. He man. could start a whole division of Apple to come up with an AI football coach. That oh yeah, just, it would be the the eye coach. They would just hold the iPad up on the sideline, little eye coach, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a skit on one of the SEC comedy things on YouTube. Where Vanderbilt has like an iPad with a face on it, and it's the it's the Vanderbot. <laughs> I really like that. Well, anyway, we've gotten silly in our last minute or so, and I apologize. That's me. Yeah. I don't really have any spoiler except one thing, but it's not really a spoiler, but it it could be. So I saved it for here. I just wanted to see what you thought about it. Mine is more of a what if. So yeah. we know. By the way, we're in spoiler space now. So if you hadn't watched beyond this episode, stop, 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 stop. Okay. I wish that when they preserve the fragment of Kosh inside Sheridan, right, we know what eventually becomes of it. It pops back out to save the day from Olkesh, Darth Kashi, later on, right? I wish that they could have recovered it then and done it like Groot and grown a new Kosh. (laughs) 
and then in season five, we could have had Kosh again. Yeah. And and he could be like half human, kind of like Delenn, and learning how to be kind of a <coughs> half Vorlon, half human, and he would have been a really interesting character. And his only line of dialogue would be, I am Kosh. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that my would have made that season even wackier than what oh, it was. Oh, I so bad want adolescent Kosh that just says, he just goes around the hall saying, I am Kosh. I want that so bad now, Andy. Why did he not do? Why did they not do that? Because we talked about how the one of the problems with season five is it just didn't have enough big characters. They killed all of them off. Yep, and no Ivanova. God. Well, yeah, that. Yeah. God. Yeah. Anyway, I just had to throw that there. Do you have any spoiler bitage, bitage before we wrap up? The only thing that I have is that this is the uh, the uh, last. I mean, we we have now seen the last of of happy uh, Garibaldi. Everything from here on out is dark Garibaldi. Uh, for a long time. Yeah. For a yeah. long time. Yeah. I And it colors how I perceive the character because that was another thing I enjoyed about season one and two was seeing the little more happy-go-lucky Garibaldi because after you've gotten through season four especially, Garibaldi is a drag. You know, he yeah. just is. That's That's how it was written, but he is. Right. And so, you know, you know, you and I talked about how refreshing it was to see Susan in season one that we had forgotten how important she was. I yep. forget how much I enjoy Garibaldi in season one and two. Yep, yep, exactly. E- even up until this season, he was still, you know, a positive character. But now, after this, he just, ugh, it's rough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I still appreciate the arc. I mean, it's still an, an interesting and well-written arc, but it, yeah. it's dark. So. And and the problem I always had with it, too, and we'll talk about this more as we go along, but since we're in spoiler space, the problem I always had with Garibaldi in this situation, too, is that when he starts, when he comes back and pulls the whole, hey, Sheridan, you're a prima donna, you know, you're not the, the, you're not the second coming, whatever, I wanted that to be how Garibaldi would actually react. I wanted it to be his genuine I I could totally see Michael looking at Sheridan up there like God and saying, I'm not dealing with this, right? I mean, everybody else is buying what he's selling, but I'm not. Yep, that's kind of how he felt at the beginning of season two when uh, when Sheridan first came on board. Yeah, and so to me, to me, for them to just hit the switch and suddenly he's like, oh, John, I love you again. It was all bester. I was kind of like, that just felt like a cop-out to me almost. I felt right. like there had to be, for that thing to work, for what for what Bester did to him to work, there had to be some reality to it in Garibaldi's mind. Yep, yep. That, but, you they, know, I, I, but they pass it off like it's a total fantasy that was forced on him by mean old Bester, and I'm like, right. I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I used to, <laughs> to, to book uh, some pro wrestling and I, a wise person once told me that the best gimmick a pro wrestler could come up with was a gimmick that had was based on his actual personality. Yeah, so that makes sense. Sure, because yeah. you could act that more fully. Right, you can give truth to it, make it have exactly. similitude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. All right, are we good for tonight? I believe we are good for tonight, sir. We made it through whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi, and we still don't know whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi. <laughs> but we do know it involves the Psychor and some broken furniture and some broken light bulbs. 
Right, and, and a broken testicle or two as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Baby eagles. All right. Let's On wrap it note. up here. <laughs> On that note, the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Get out of here for another episode. Remember to go to www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. Help us out. We'll name your name and thank you. And you can leave comments and questions, and you're going to get early access. I'm about, When Andy signs off here, I'm going to sit down again and I'm going to edit this episode and have it up on Patreon for our listeners in the next 24 hours, whereas the rest of you have to wait all the way until next Monday. So you can get it early, you can get it often, (laughs) and you can get other bonus things as well. So so I guess, all right, until then, Andy, I'll talk to you next time. All right, sounds good, man. Take care. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.